Good morning. Today's scripture reading is from Hebrews 12, 1 through 2. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. Thank you. Anna, is it? Thank you for reading that for us this morning. <laughs> morning, everybody. Good morning. To have an ambition is to have a strong desire to achieve something. A strong desire to achieve something. And my question to you is, is there any greater ambition, is there any greater goal than living a life that is honoring to God, our creator, our savior, our Lord? I can't think of anything else. Nothing else worth pursuing, worth running after than God himself. And wouldn't it be great if someone could say of your life at the end of your life that you lived every day of your life running after Jesus? Every day of your life with a singular focus on pleasing the God who made you, of honoring the God by whom you are made from and for his glory. I wish I could say that about my life at the end of my life, but I won't be able to and neither will you. In fact, there's only one person where we'll be able to say he lived an entire life focused on pleasing and honoring God, and that is Jesus. And the good news this morning and always is that when we put our faith, our trust in Jesus, that life that was fully committed, fully in love, fully honoring, fully trusting God every day, every minute of his life has been credited, given to us through faith in him. That's great news. Faith is a confident trust in God's word. No matter the circumstances, no matter the consequences, we have a confident trust in Jesus, the living word of God. And we've been talking about, through Hebrews 11, examples of what's called the hall of faith. Men and women who lived lives that were nowhere near perfect. We saw plenty of examples of that. They had heroic times. They had terrible, awful decisions. They were fallible. They were weak. But they were men and women that held on to their faith in God until the end of their life. And God, the faithful one, kept them, preserved them. And he's, they are with him now forever. Men and women of faith who have gone before us. And we saw at the end of Hebrews 11 this incredible truth that God decided to wait before he finishes, before he fulfills all of his promises in his word of the life to come and his kingdom on earth here permanently. Before that happens, he decided that we should be part of his story, that we could join with the men and the women who have gone before us in this journey of faith, of following God, and of being welcomed into the family of God. 
He's invited us in. And Lord willing, many more men and women after us will have that same opportunity of joining the family of God. He wants us to be part of his story. And that leads us to today's passage in Hebrews 12, verses 1 through 2, which this is the main idea I have for those two verses. Remember those who have gone before us as we run the race of faith. We see that in verses 1 through 2. Remember those who have gone before us. That's when he talks about the great cloud of witnesses. He's reminding us of what we just read about. As we run this race, this race of faith, he wants us to run with endurance. He wants us to run with our eyes focused on Christ. So remember those who have gone before us as we run the race of faith. The way we're going to break that down is first we're going to look at who are, the, who are those who are remembering the crowd, this great crowd of witnesses in verse 1. And then we're going to talk about this race that we're in. And that's in verses 1 to 2. And then we'll end with the reason that we run Christ who has run before us, who started this race, who finished this race, and who's with us every step of the way. The reason to run in verse 2. So the crowd. Look again at verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. So we're going we're gonna to camp out here for a minute. There's a picture he's painting for us that I want to try to help us see. And I got a lot of help by this, uh, this book about, about the, the Greek language in, in the New Testament by Rick Renner, pointing out some of these words to give us a fuller idea of what he's saying. When he says we are surrounded by... That term has to do with being completely encircled by. 360 degrees, everywhere you look, you are encompassed, encircled by something. What are we encircled by? It says, so great a cloud of witnesses. What does he mean by cloud? The word cloud was used to describe the highest seats of the bleachers at an arena, at a stadium. I think we still, I've still heard people use this kind of terminology today. You go to a sports game or some kind of athletic event, and you might ask someone, what, what seats did you get? And they'll be like, I'm in the clouds. Does anyone still hear people use that kind of terminology? What do they mean by that? They mean that they're so high up in the arena that it's as if they're in the clouds. You don't want those seats generally. If you can get ones closer to the action, that's great. But the idea is they're so high up that it's as if they're they're in the clouds. So what is this picture that he's putting together for us? We are encircled everywhere you look in an arena with people who, cloud of witnesses, men and women of the faith who have gone before us, who have held on to their faith in Jesus, the faithful one, and are now with God in eternity. We are surrounded on every side by men and women who have gone before us all the way up to the clouds, every seat filled. This is the picture he's giving to us. Since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. Now, maybe your thought is, as I work through this myself, are you telling me that the men and women of the faith before us are watching my life like every minute of every day and all the way up to the top? That sounds... You know, that kind of a scary thought to me. Are they judging me? Are they, you know, 
thinking about their own lives and how much more spectacular maybe they were than, than mine. And are they waiting for me to mess up again? Are they pointing? Are they laughing? Is that Samuel like giggling about I just made the same mistake for the 900th time? So let's just get off of that road in your mind. The idea is not men and women before us are looking down at us and judging us and like, one, like spectating, enjoying with some popcorn how your life of faith is going. That's not what he's, that's not what he's saying. Instead, the focus is on us looking at them. Since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, he's saying, think about, dwell on the men and the women that you just heard about in Hebrews 11. Again, with all of the emphasis seems to be on their, on some of their strengths for sure, but also their big shortcomings and failures and how God, the faithful one, kept them until the end. A little faith in the right person goes a long way. God will keep us. So he's saying, remember them and how God, the faithful one, got them to the end. Remember, you're not the only one who has run this race. Others have gone before you. They have blazed the trail. Remember them. But most importantly, and most of all, as you'll hear and, you sh- and we should explain every Sunday, look by far the most to Jesus. The one who started the race. The one who set the racetrack. The founder and perfecter. The author and the finisher. Earlier in Hebrews, he said, he said he's our forerunner. He's already gone to heaven, to God, on our behalf, and he's holding us, keeping us like an anchor fixed there, and we're connected with him. And he's going to get us home. Look to Jesus. Let's not miss that. So the crowd, we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. The crowd's there. We can remember them. Look to Christ as we run the race. Verses 1 to 2. Let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. So there's a race. There's a racetrack in front of us. It's not the first time that this idea of the Christian life of faith is represented as a race. In fact, 1 Corinthians 9, 2 Timothy chapter 4, Philippians chapter 2, that's probably my favorite one, where Paul says, forget about what's behind you. Forget about what you used to live for and strain forward to the prize of the upward call of Christ Jesus our Lord. Strain ahead, run forward with all you have, the Christian life as a race. So can we talk about running? First of all, if you're gonna run any distance, it is very difficult to do that if you don't want to run. Motivation is very important. And if you don't have the motive to run and to keep running, eventually you're gonna stop running. So let me repeat a little bit what I said at the beginning. What greater ambition, what greater desire is there than running after God himself? 
God himself. There is no greater desire. And I'll just say, the more you get to know him, the more you understand, the the less convincing you're going to need from other people to press on and to go towards Christ, to move towards him. It's about him. So let's run. He talks about getting ready to run. How do we get ready to run? I was reading a little bit about first century running in Greece, first century AD. When they would get together to run before the event, the runners would go into the stadium with long, colorful robes. Sounds kind of majestic, like the the athletes are coming in and they've got these long, flowing um, robes and, and they're, they're getting together and ready and getting ready to run. But guess what? When they ran the race, nobody had those robes on. No, they'd be trip over it. They'd get in the way. They would take them off. And fun fact, they would be close to naked when they would take off and actually start running. They would shed all the weight they possibly could. It reminded me a little bit of, of college. I had a couple friends on the swimming team. And when the big race came up, and I don't remember exactly what that was called or if it was twice or once a year, I don't know. But it was a big deal, and they all talked about it. And leading up to that race, they would shave almost their whole body, some of them, their eyebrows. And that's like next-level commitment in my mind, to get rid of every possible little weight that could hold them back even a fraction of a second for their time. So what is he telling us to do here? Shave our whole bodies? I hope not. That's not it. But he's saying, what he is saying to do is to lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. What are we called, what is he telling us to lay aside? The answer is every hindrance, every impediment, every distraction, every interference, Sinful or not, in our lives, he's telling us, what is slowing you down? What is holding you back from a strong, fervent, forward-moving commitment to Jesus? What is it? I want to start by saying, I likely... I'm not the person to tell you this morning what hindrances exactly in your life right now in this season of your life, what distraction, what sin habit, fill in the blank. It is in your life that God may be calling you today to confront and deal with and lay aside for this race of running after Jesus. You're a better person to know the answer to that. The people in your life that you've given a voice and impact they are more likely to be able to tell you, potentially, what it is that's holding you back. And can I say this? As I've been sharing this, interferences, distractions, sins, impediments, something that's holding you back from really throwing off the weights and running after Jesus, if you're thinking to yourself, man, I hope, I hope I'm not, I hope I don't have to get rid of this thing. I hope, I love Jesus and I'll follow him, but I hope I don't have to deal with, I hope nobody asks me about, that may be exactly what God is calling you to deal with today, just potentially. Let me talk about myself for a minute, because that just takes a lot of pressure off of you guys and 
part of my job is to be vulnerable time and time and time and time and time again to remind you that I'm not Jesus and that what I need him just as much as the rest of you and we have a savior and Lord and that's good news, not some person trying to be more than they are. So I've shared some of my shortcomings and vulnerabilities in the past, um, struggles with, and I shared a lot more uh, details of like self-glory in in performance, self-glory in appearance. Here's one that God's been teaching me more so recently. It has to do with glory again, I think, this theme, but it has to do with the way I'm perceived as intelligent or not. Part of my story is that I was never the smartest kid in any grade ever growing up in my school, any of them. I didn't have a big desire to read, and I think that was part of it. Just wanted to get by and play sports. And so, but I wanted to be perceived as intelligent, like don't we all to some degree? And what God's been teaching me recently is that I care too much about how people think about me in terms of intelligence, okay? The desire God gave me to start reading happened after grad school and wanting to learn about about him, and maybe you know this, but there's a lot of literature. You can read a lot about God from his word. There's more, liter- more people have written about God than anything else by far. There's so much to read and to take in. And that started a journey for me of wanting to read and to take in. That's, that's helped me grow and to learn, and it's great to try to learn and get more intelligent and all. That's great. But in my life, one thing God's been teaching me that might be a hindrance and something holding me back is you care too much about if people think you're smart. Not just that, I care too much if God thinks I'm smart. Am I not pleasing you enough, God, unless I'm this amount of intelligence? There's probably a smarter way of saying that, you know. But should I not share with this person about you because they might think I, didn't, I can't explain it well enough, I'm not intelligent enough? To start talking about the gospel, they might look down on me and make fun of me and start quoting a bunch of people I don't know anything about and talking about something. Am I not smart enough? Can I make a much bigger impact if I just was smarter? It can be a hindrance. We learned one of the things I learned in in India, a person was sharing all of the Examples of people he knew that, that were illiterate, that God worked through in mighty, powerful ways. And thinking about my own life, it's, it is wonderful to know some philosophical arguments, cosmological arguments, apologetics for the faith, important topic. I'm not trying to downplay it, but I am saying maybe I've put too much credence on me trying to be clever enough to explain God in a way that really smart people would be able to say, okay, well, he's, he's really intelligent, and so therefore maybe God is real in a way that's dishonoring to, to God and making it more about, about that. Am I, focus, am I having too much attention on that rather than the powerful word of God that actually changes people's hearts? <laughs> like, there's a reason that over 100 million copies of the word of God is sold every single year. It's virtually always the bestseller but the New York Times won't tell you that. <laughs> Powerful word of God. So another reminder, those Bibles that you've been grabbing and might still have in your backpack, let's pray for opportunities to give his word to people. So 
What is it for you? What hindrance, what distraction, sinful or not, is it? I have a bunch of examples I wrote down here, but I want you to think about it yourself. In talking about this passage with people leading up to to this week, I've found the same kind of conversation happen multiple times. Community. In talking about this passage, I've heard multiple people say in my tribe, people talking about, I need people to run with. And it's the times in my life when I had just full of the wrong kinds of influence, running with the wrong kind of crowd that had the most impact and and voice in my life, that's when I went off the rails. I need people who are also running, going towards Christ. We need that. Here's the thing about running as a Christian. We're not competing against each other. Okay? It's not about blowing so-and-so running by them and leaving them in the dust. Okay? If you run by somebody and they're on the ground not moving, you know, figuratively as a Christian in this, in, this, in this marathon of a life as we follow God, don't run by them and laugh and point and say, ha, I'm going further and longer than you are. Stop, help, we're on a team. As we run, we encourage each other. We help each other. We're there for each other. It's not competitive in that way. Same team. We run. We need each other to run well. Community. Lay aside every weight and the sin which clings so closely. Some of you, maybe you're thinking, but you don't understand. You don't know, you don't know the struggle I have. You don't know how many times the same fill-in-the-blank has happened. You don't know how many times, even though how hard I've tried, how often I'll just turn back to... You don't know. You don't understand. Maybe I don't, your exact story. But God does. And he says, we see here in his word, he knows the sin which can cling so closely, like it's attached to us. Like it's part of us. Like there's nothing I can do to get rid of it. And let me tell you, it's actually worse than that. (laughs) We don't just have sin so close to us that it's like attached to our bodies. We have indwelling sin that's not going away until we're glorified, until either we die or Christ comes back. There'll be no perfect Christian among us until then. You don't just have sin clinging to you. You have sin inside of you. But praise God, I don't stop there. We don't stop there. While sin is so close even indwelling you, God is closer. God is in us. Yes, we live for the rest of our life. We can grieve and mourn the indwelling sin, Romans 7, in our lives, in our hearts, in our minds. But praise be to God that through Jesus Christ, we have, through his power, the ability to overcome and to run towards him. Romans 8, the grace of God, the spirit of God at work in us. We have him. We have each other to run well together. So don't just grieve that sin in your life. Drop it. Lose it. Cling to God harder than you cling to that sin and run. Run. What does he say here? Run with endurance. Why does he say run with endurance? 
because we need endurance. Because we get tired, because we get distracted, because we need renewed concentration and focus of why we're running and who we're running towards, and we need help because we get exhausted. We need to run with endurance. Let me share it. Can I share a quick story? So I ran cross country my senior year of high school because leading up to that, I was playing soccer and I realized I'm running pretty well with everybody, but I don't kick as well, so let me just do the sport where they just run. So I tried that, and that went a little bit better. But the first, the first year, the only year I did it, but the first race, which actually I believe was a scrimmage, I get to the course, and I'm unfamiliar. They've told me about it, but I don't know how much I was. I probably didn't listen that well. And it was the, the team we were playing. We were at their field, their course, whatever. It's 3.1 miles of running, 5K. And we run. We take off. We're racing. Okay? And during the race, I don't know exactly how far we are in it. I need help to know where to go, people pointing, signs, whatever. And somewhere into this race, it feels like we've been running a while for me. Okay. I hear, some, at some point during the race, these loud cheers and bells and all these noises of a crowd cheering. And we're in, we're in this wooded area, so I can't see them, but I hear it. So guess what I think? The race is almost over. So what do I do? I take off sprinting as fast as I possibly could. And I'm passing people, and I'm yelling at my teammates, you can do it, we're almost there, you got this. And I'm like, so amped up, sprinting as fast as I can. And eventually I get out of the woods, and I turn the corner, and I'm getting tired, but I'm going, and I realize that crowd was there cheering us on. All you cross-country people know exactly what I'm talking about. It doesn't mean you're at the end when a crowd is there at some part of the race cheering you on. There was a lot of race to go. There was like half of it left or a third, I don't know. But by the time I got to the end, I was so exhausted. At the end is when you're supposed to do the sprinting. And so when I got to the end, I couldn't sprint. I was done. I was moving, yelling at myself and my body, please move faster as people are just you know, going past me, all the people that I'd ran by earlier, they're just getting to the finish line before me, and I'm so frustrated at myself. What happened? What happened was, I thought it was all about to be done, so I sprinted. I gave everything I had. Why do I bring this up? This, this little point here can be a whole message, so I'm just going to briefly touch on it. Show me the person who has lived a life of 85 years who is still joyfully, with peace and love, serving and following God and encouraging other people. And when you talk to them, it's as if they could do another 85. That's the kind of person I want to be. That's the kind of race I want to run. I don't want to be the person that sprinted for four years, that sprinted for eight months, and then threw in the towel on the whole thing. Which do you want to be? As I said, this can be a whole message on this. How are you running? In this season of your life, does the thought of Doing what you're doing for five years from now make you think that there's no way I could possibly 
run this way? Or are you at a place in life where you've got, you're serving well, you're, you're following hard after God, but you have, you have a real plan here. You have ideas of how to run well for the long haul. You don't know how long you have. God could come back today. I could die today, next month, next year, or you might have 60 more years. How are you running? Bring that to the Lord if you need to. Bring it to people that you trust, that you see are running well. And by the grace of God, let's be those who are joyfully crossing the finish line. Run. Run with endurance. But he doesn't stop there. Because you could run a long way and run really well, and then by the time you get to where you're going, you say, I'm at the wrong place. (laughs) I ended up at the wrong location. And that's not what we want. So what does he say? Run with endurance. The race that is set before us, looking to Jesus. So, how do we know we're going in the right direction? How do I know I'm moving towards where I'm supposed to be moving towards? He tells us, looking to Jesus. That word looking is not a glance. It's not a look up every five miles or five years to make sure, oh, Jesus, still going towards him. The the word has more to do, look to Jesus, a fixation, a focus, a concentration on Jesus. That's how we can know we're going in the right direction, focusing on him. And here's the thing about being a Christian and running the life of faith, of true faith. True faith in God changes us. As we are moving towards him, we're becoming something else. Sometimes it happens quickly, sometimes more slowly, but we are becoming people that look that have more of the aroma, if you will, the smell of Jesus. We're growing in love. We're growing in patience. We're growing in kindness. We're growing in goodness, in joy, in faithfulness. He's changing us. That's the fancy word sanctification. That's all it means. We are becoming more like Jesus on this journey of faith as we go towards him. Sometimes we're running really hard. Here's here's what I want to say here. Some of you are sprinting right now. And that is great. If you can sprint for a long time and you've got healthy practices in life, set up and you've, you're being poured into and you're pouring out and, you've got, and you're sprinting well, I know some of you are sprinting. Keep sprinting if you're doing it well. Some of you are running. Some of you are jogging. Some of you are speed walking, and that's all in the hips, okay? <laughs> some of you are walking, Some of you are limping right now towards Christ. Limping. Others of you are on the ground and you're crawling. But listen, every single one of those kinds of running, walking, 
jogging, sprint, limit, crawling, you're moving, okay? You are going towards Jesus. And one of the, one of the things I just want to be, be sure of with my church, with my flock, is that we are moving. When I get really worried and real concerned, it's when I look around and I see somebody and I'm wondering, are you moving at all? It's okay sometimes when it's a crawl. Sometimes the runner's wall, you know that phrase if you're a runner, it hits and things happen. And you think, I don't know if I can run anymore. This was too much for me. And I pray we're the kind of church that comes around you, doesn't sprint by you and laughs and points and I'm running so much better than you. No, 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 no but it's there for you and that points you to the only one that can give you the continued motivation, ambition, endurance, power to get up and to run, and that's Jesus. He'll get us there. He started the whole idea. He set the race. He gave us our lives. Ephesians 2.10, there are good works that he prepared in advance that we should walk in them. That's exciting to me. This race he wants us to run. He started it. He finished it. He's the motivation. He's the reason we run. So here's the end of it. Who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Focus on Jesus, the whole race. Whether you're sprinting, jogging, walking, crawling, limping, have your mind focused on him. The one that even though he dreaded the suffering and the shame of the cross, the physical pain, far worse than that, the spiritual misery, agony of being cut off, separated from God after their eternal relationship together, separated so that we could be brought in. There's the joy. But he dreaded the suffering. He dreaded the agony. He dreaded the shame. Naked hung on the cross, cursed, taking on the sins of the world. But he crossed the finish line with the sins of the world on his back. Talk about weight. Talk about weight. He finished with our sins on his back. And he did all of that for the joy set before him. That we could be part of the family of God. That he will fulfill all of his promises in his word. The life to come because of what Jesus did. So when we're struggling, when it's hard, and it can be unbelievably difficult to run, and sometimes we don't feel like running anymore, or we get distracted, look to him. When it finishes by saying he's seated at the right hand of the throne of God, He's not saying that Jesus is sitting down and he doesn't care anymore and he's, like, he's just resting and waiting for us all to get there. No. The idea is he is permanently at the right hand of God in power and authority in heaven and on earth. He'll give us what we need to endure. He has the power to do it, to get us up, to help us as we go towards him. 
So if you're here today and you would just love some prayer and this whole topic of endurance and of running after God and of trying to figure out, maybe even start the process of what it means to get on this racetrack of faith, or you know there's hindrances and distractions and you want to take a first step of dealing with those things, or maybe you just want to pray for somebody you know who's dealing with these things, or you want to pray for anything at all, as we say every week, right over here, people ready to pray with you. You don't have to go over there. You can pray with people around you. You can do whatever. You can. Let's go before the Lord with these things. In the name of Jesus, let's pray. Father, there are times where we are excited to run. I thank you, God, that that's the season, at least recently, that I've seen in multiple people in this church, in my life. We see the joy, we see the reason we're excited to run, to go towards you every day getting closer. Knowing that you're empowering us, encouraging us, bringing people into our life to speak into it. But God, there are other times where we don't wanna run. I think most of us have experienced that, maybe are right now. Maybe we're the one crawling or limping, and we need you. I pray, God, you who are seated at the right hand, the throne of the Father, that through your power and your strength, God, you would encourage, comfort, reach into the lives of those among us right now who are tired, who are weary, who are frustrated, who are not running as they want to be able to. Thank you, God, for never leaving us on our own. Thank you for giving these examples of men and women of faith, this great cloud of witnesses we look to and are reminded of how you worked in their life from beginning to end. We're not alone, you'll do it in ours. And thank you mostly for Jesus, the forerunner of our faith, who set us on this racetrack by grace, who will finish the race by grace, the author, the finisher, the founder, the perfecter of our faith. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.